0: Cassandra Ramirez was a 25-year-old from the Bronx, New York. She was a mother and had a culinary degree. On the night of September 19th, 2018, Cassie left with a guy she'd been seeing on and off. She used her phone several times until 7 a.m. the next morning when this man claims he dropped Cassie off at a train station. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Densel. And this is Unfound. is going to rough you up. In fact, the saying is that there are only two assured things in life, death and taxes. Well, I would have to add a third, getting challenged, getting beat down, having setbacks, not reaching goals, being abused by life. Not necessarily by a person or a thing or anything that we can put our hands on, sometimes just existence is enough. That your heart is beating, your brain is functioning, your lungs are going in and out, sometimes that's all it takes for life to say, hey, take some of this. But this is also why there's that meme or picture I see at the gym that says, tough times don't build character, they reveal it. And as cliche as that is, it's probably true. If you have the strength You'll still succeed, despite the odds. And if you don't, uh, probably not. Well, in the disappearance of Cassandra Ramirez, she had seen her share of the rough part of life. Some of it by her own making, some of it not. And she was in the process of putting the bad times behind her. Then Cassie disappeared. And we must figure out what happened during her. Rise. Rise to overcome. And now a summary of the case. It is on NamUs, but not on the Charlie Project. Cassie Ramirez fought through a lot during the first 25 years of her life. She had a son who died 12 days after birth. Her father also passed away. Cassie fought addictions to both marijuana and cocaine. At one point she was even homeless, living in the basement of where she worked. But Cassie managed to turn it all around. She went back to school and got her culinary degree. Cassie had another son. This little guy was perfectly healthy. And she rebonded with her mother after a period in which the two didn't speak to each other. So, on the night of September 19th, 2018, Cassie got picked up by John O'Brien, a man she'd dated at one time. It's unclear what their plans were or where they were going, However, a witness claims John and Cassie were also with the woman who was pregnant with John's child. The night progressed into the next morning, with Cassie texting and calling people. Everything seemed to be fine, with the last call being at 7 a.m. John claims he dropped Cassie off at a train station so she could get back to the Bronx because she had a job interview that morning. Cassie didn't make it to that appointment. She was never seen again. Due to both Cassie's prior struggles and connections to different men, many theories have swirled over the last 18 months. Of course, John O'Brien has been the focus of much of the speculation, and these questions about him and other topics continue to stump Cassie's family. Number one. Why did two people who called Cassie every day before she went missing stop doing so immediately after her disappearance? Number two. Why did the police not check any video at the train station where Cassie was allegedly dropped off? And number three, what are we to make of a toll booth picture that shows John was by himself when it was believed Cassie and his girlfriend were with him? Cassie's family keeps up hope that she is still alive and are anxious to bring her home. The guest for this episode is Cassie's mother, Ingrid Ramirez. Unfound News. Mark your calendars. April 9th, 2020, at 7 p.m. Eastern, on the Nova Southeastern University, Fishler College of Education, and School of Criminal Justice Facebook page. I will be doing a video show live and in person with Dr. Grace Telesco. We'll be discussing what Unfound has done over the past three and a half years and the importance of educating future law enforcement members about all aspects of investigating missing persons cases. Next, the March Unfound newsletter comes out this weekend. As I always say, if you're on the list, be looking for it. If you're not, email me personally, and I will make sure you get the next one. And finally... Unfound will be releasing an in-memoriam episode for Crystal Morrison within the next few days. In December 2019, her remains were found. It is believed she died of natural causes due to the sickness she had the day she disappeared. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Deezer, and Facebook. Facebook. On Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us on the Unfound podcast channel on YouTube for the Unfound live show. All of you can talk with me, and I can answer your questions. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. You can also contribute at PayPal, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. That is also the email address. Merchandise, the books at amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Do not forget the reviews. Shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com. Cards at makeplancards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfound podcast. And please mention unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy to have on this episode of unfound the mother of Cassie Ramirez, Ingrid Ramirez. Ingrid, welcome to Unfound.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. I'm very happy to have you on the program. Let's start uh, here like we mostly always do on Unfound. Let's talk about your family. How many children do you have?
1: So I have five children, um, three girls, two boys.
0: Wow, okay. Ranging in ages from what to what?
1: Eight to almost 29.
0: Wow, 20 years apart you have children. Yes. Okay. Uh, Funny enough, I know a little bit about that because I have a sister that's about 20 years older than I am, or over 20 years older than I am, actually. So I know a little bit about that. Okay. And uh, where does Cassie fall in that line?
1: Cassandra is my second daughter second child second daughter
0: okay and uh, when they were all together um how they all get along maybe the 20 and the 29 uh, year old and the 8 year old maybe don't run into each other much i don't know but uh your your other children how they all get along what was the family dynamic there
1: actually to be honest they all get along very well um the younger Rihanna, the 8 year old she is Everyone's
2: princess.
1: I bet. Um, she, aside from being the princess, though, she's very dominant, and so she makes herself known, even though there's a huge difference in age.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Karina and Cassandra are both uh, from my first uh, marriage, so to speak. Mm-hmm. and um And their father passed away when they were relatively young.
2: Oh,
1: no. uh, Yeah, so... Um, they they both know that kind of law.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I remarried and had two boys. Um, and, um, things didn't work out between he and I. And so we went our separate ways. And uh, after being married for 14 years, I got into, uh, unconventional relationship with Brianna's father. Yeah. And uh, she
0: was the blessing and uh prayer that was answered for both of us. Wow. Okay. All right. So 29 years old, the whole way down to eight years old, but Cassandra, also known as Cassie, um, it was your second in line. Yes. Okay. Yes. Great. Okay. In- interesting. Sounds a little bit, once again, like my biological family. Okay. Uh, let's. Well, being that this episode is about Cassandra's disappearance, let's talk about her. Uh, what are some of the qualities that you think that people should know about uh Cassandra her interests, her hobbies um you know what was she into maybe in school, things like that?
1: Well, Cassandra was very eclectic um she had many different uh interests. she enjoyed cooking and put herself through culinary school um She actually paid her way through. Uh, culinary school uh wow. in New York City. She loved to bake. Um she enjoyed playing around with her sister. So initially Karina, my older child, and Cassandra would call each other twins. Um, and I mean they were they were inseparable. Always mm-hmm. always together. They had kids together. I mean they everything. Um they shared the same kind of friends. Um Cassandra was very artistic. Cassandra loved to put things together. She was very good at um, in fashion. She did some modeling as a child. Um, Cassandra had actually been to a go-see. Um, I put her through this program in New York City. Uh, she was 17 years old, and um, she was interested in going into modeling and acting. and um, they went to what's called a showcase. I don't know if many mm-hmm. people are like mm-hmm. are familiar with the terminology, but a showcase is basically where they have a certain number of um aspiring actors. They go and they meet with executives from uh different types of networks or agents. Um they also had some directors um that were in the panel and so she went off and she did her thing and she had been selected for what is no longer existence but for one life to live, um, she was supposed to play the character of blankston Um and right before she was able to commit and to sign a contract, she found out that she was pregnant, uh, with her first child.
2: Wow!
1: And so she had to yeah, she had to withdraw from that. And it did affect her. I mean, she was she was kind of depressed about it, but she Is pro-life, and so she did Mm -hmm. not believe in, you know, not having her child for her convenience, Eh? which I commend. And so she decided, you know, that having her child was more important than, you know, Mm
2: -hmm. what
1: her career path was at the moment. Um, Unfortunately, she also went into premature labor, and her son, um, Jaden Isaiah, was with us for 12 days before he passed away. And so... It was wow. very difficult
0: for Cassie. Wow. And if you if you can say uh, if you can remember what what year was that that, that happened to uh, Cassie? That was in twenty ten. Twenty ten, like ten years ago. Wow. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that was very very hard on her. Probably for the father too. Very difficult.
1: Um. It was. She her relationship with Jaden's um, father became strained. Um, Cassie has always been very family oriented, and so family always meant everything to her. I mean, it didn't, it doesn't matter if it's a cousin, a father, it didn't matter what, what the relationship was. If you were family, you were family. Um, when Cassandra became aware of being pregnant, she told the child's father, and he, had just came out of a relationship and had a child with that other relationship, and so he did not feel prepared to be a father again, and he actually did not want Cassie to have the child, and so she decided to go on her own and mm-hmm. just be a mom. Um, she she did everything that she was supposed to. She went to the doctors. She went to prenatal. She went to, um, to take care of herself. She was just really looking forward to being a mom, um, although she was very afraid. And so, um, I want to say maybe three weeks before she went into premature labor, she had asked me if I would step in and, um, help her to raise the child. And I told her that I would. And so she said, well, when I say raise the child and help me, I kind of mean for you to take them and be mom to him. And when he's older, you know, he can know that I'm his biological mom, but I want him to see you as his mom. Um, she went to a prenatal appointment and everything was great. Um, she came home and um, there was an altercation in the building. The building we lived in in New York City was but dangerous. I mean mm-hmm. a lot of things happened in that building. That building has seen many issues of assault. Um women were never safe in that building. There was actually an incident in that building. I had just had surgery from an accident that I had been in and my two daughters were downstairs with some of their friends. They see this woman flying off where my balcony was and they actually thought it was me. But I was in I was in bed. I was I'm on my medication. And um, the police came and broke down my door, and they found me sleeping in bed. And I was like, what's going on? And they said, you know, did you hear anything? with anybody in your apartment? Are you by yourself? And I said, I've been by myself. My kids are outside playing. And they said, well, someone was just killed right above your balcony. And wow. so that's the type of building I lived in. It was very, very dangerous.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so um, Cassandra had been injured uh, the same day that she went to the sonogram. She came back home, and she was worried, you know, but everything seemed to be okay. Um Two weeks later, she uh started to have pain and started bleeding. She called a doctor, and the doctor told her to come into the emergency room, and it was like all hell broke loose in the hospital. The room got filled with so many um, medical personnel, mm-hmm. and I was told that if I didn't sign for her to have an emergency cesarean, that both her and the baby would not make it, so um, so they did a crash C-section, and uh, and he ended up being with us for twelve amazing days. You know. Mm, yeah.
2: It's
0: okay. Wow. Crazy. Wow. That when that was ten years ago.
1: Yes. Yeah, wow. Was May he was born on um, November 16th, and he passed away November 28th.
0: Now, I do know that she ended up having at least uh, a child that uh, I believe is still with them, maybe even more than that. I want to get into that in a second, but I do want to talk about maybe her education a little bit. You said that she went to culinary school. Uh, when was this? And you said she financed it herself. Yes.
1: She graduated in 2017, in July, July of 2017, um, and then she Oh, Cassie. Cassie just loved to, she loved to read. And so anything that she found that was interesting to her, she would get books and she would, you know, research and analyze. And, I mean, this is a girl who was reading by the time she was three. By the time she was in kindergarten, she was helping other kindergartners to learn their ABCs and to learn how to put words together or letters together to make words. Um hmm. She, yeah, she. I mean, always very, very intelligent, very bright, um, very spunky, you know, uh, very outgoing, and uh, and her whole her whole philosophy on life was to always learn things. Um, she. Did that, early though, early. Did,
2: did that surprise you?
1: Though, did that
0: surprise you that she, she went into culinary school?
1: No, not at all. Not. I mean, it was a passion for her. You know, she's like I said. She's very creative and likes to put things together. And she loves to make meals at home. And she would say that it was such a satisfaction just to watch everyone enjoy. Sometimes she would she would spend hours in the kitchen, and she would barely even eat because her joy came from watching everyone else eat and watching everyone else enjoy what she painstakingly made for everyone. Um. Actually, both of my daughters they like to they like to cook and they like that whole together um, sense and community sense. And so that I mean, mm-hmm. no, it didn't surprise me at all.
2: Okay,
0: and uh, okay, so she goes to culinary school. Is that like a I don't know two year program or one year or what? What is that? I'm not...
1: I believe it was a one year program. Okay. New York. I don't remember the name of it to be honest because mm-hmm. I was when well, she enrolled, she actually didn't even tell me she had enrolled. Um, she did that all on her own. Um, and I came to find out accidentally. She had posted some pictures and she was wearing like the chef's outfit and I was like, like know, you did it. Yeah. I, I mean I I couldn't believe her and she she was like, Mom, like, yeah, I really did this. And, I, and you know, when she actually enrolled, she was going through some transitions in her life. And so, at first, I didn't take her serious, but then she would call me and she would um, tell me about the like, different menus that she was making or she would ask for my opinion on if her teacher had wanted her to do like an entree and um, some kind of dessert afterwards or what wine would go best with what kind of dish. Um She would call me and ask me for advice, and the way she would speak, you know, you can hear through just her voice and how excited she was about doing this, and she needed for everything to be perfected. If it wasn't perfect, she wasn't happy, she'd scrap it and start all over again. And so I knew that she that this was something that really lighted up her passion, and, you know, she was able to direct a lot of energy towards making sure that her meals were just perfect.
0: Okay. All right, let's move back to the children. Now, eventually though, after unfortunately she had her son uh uh die after 12 days, she did end up having children that once again I believe are who are alive to this day and we're doing this on interview on February 23rd, 2020. Uh how many children did Cassie uh end up having and when did that happen?
1: So, she had Ethan Right after. um, He was born in 2012, and he was healthy, although a couple of weeks early, but not not too bad. Um, He was 35 weeks uh, at the station, and um, healthy, cute little boy. I mean, oh, my God, he has Mm. the cutest dimples. And he was born with this blonde kind of hair, and, and just beautiful, very, very sweet, mellow little boy Mm -hmm. um and he was her world. I mean, so all right, so let me back up a little bit with Ethan. When um Cassie had the encounter with Jaden's father and he did not want to have anything to do with Ethan with with Jaden or her pregnancy or with her, um she got together with Ethan's father and they had been friends previously. Um, but they had not really had, um, like, uh, they had not established a relationship. Now, he was there for her when Caden was born, and he was a strong support system for, for Kathy. um, and everything was pretty okay up until his family found out that she already had a child previous. um... When they started dating, although the family kind of sort of was accepting of her, they also weren't. Um, They felt to be superior to Cassandra, and they did not want their child to be in a relationship with Cassandra. When Cassandra found out that she was expecting, she was really happy. I mean, she was just like, mom, mom. I'm so excited. I have another opportunity. You know, I'm going to be real careful with this child, you know, just to make sure that nothing like what happened before would repeat. So once again, she became, you know, very involved in making sure that her pregnancy progressed as it should, took care of herself, went to the doctors, made sure that the baby had, you know, the things that he was going to need. I mean, she just really wanted to be that perfect mom. Um, along the way, though, when his father found out that she was expecting, he did not want her to reveal to anybody that she was pregnant. She did not want. He, he did not want his family to be aware of the fact that Ethan was going to be born soon, and that he was a dad. Um, he broke up with her when she had mentioned to a family member of his. That she was pregnant, his family had chosen to. Uh, from what both had told me, that he was he was going to be. Um, how do you call when? Oh, I forgot the name. When they don't want you to be part of the family anymore.
0: Estranged.
1: Right. They they like they really put a stop to him really being with Cassandra, and they made it very difficult. Hmm. Um, it was very strange, a relationship, and I remember after, she was still to see him, but hidden. It, he never told anyone, really, that he was a father. He did not, it was like he was shamed in knowing that he had a child with this girl, because they, his family made him feel shame for the fact that she was, when to bring a child
0: into the world and that child had their bloodline. So Cassie has a son, Ethan. Does she have any other children? No. Okay. Okay, so and he was so he was born in two thousand twelve and so he is eight years old now? He's gonna be eight this year. Yeah.
1: He's gonna be eight, uh. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. And um did he uh, live with Cassie for any amount of time between 2012 and when she disappeared? What were the actual arrangements that Cassie and the father's – his fa- uh, the father's name is Teddy uh, – what arrangement did they have for those six years between Ethan being born and her disappearing? So when Ethan was
1: born initially, it came to live with me, um, Cassie and Ethan, And um, shortly after after Ethan was born, two months later, Cassandra said, you know what, Mom, I'm an adult, and I kind of made my bed. So I don't think it's fair for you to have to keep supporting me and supporting my child, so I'm going to go off on my own. And she decided to enter what's called the Emergency Assistance Unit Um, Department of Homeless Services in New York City uh, to find shelter for her and her son so that she can eventually become independent.
0: Okay. And how did that go? Where did she end up going? What did she end up doing?
1: Um, She was placed in a couple of different shelters and then eventually she was placed in a shelter that was a couple of blocks from where Teddy lived Um, Her and Teddy reestablished the relationship. They had a very on-again, off-again type of relationship. Okay. And they had, um, he proposed, and they had become engaged. Wow. And um, at first, you know, I, I had my reservations because of, you know, previous incidents. Yeah. But, you know, she was adamant that he had changed and that he and her were going to be that family that she longed for. Didn't
0: work out, though. Okay, and what year was that, approximately?
1: Um,
0: 2015. 2015, okay. Was she working at the time? Uh, was she trying to get a job? I know it It sounds like it was exceedingly difficult. You know, the, uh, of course, being a single mother uh, with a son, relationship, like you said, on and off uh, with Teddy. Uh, what was she doing at the time? for any, I, I know she was getting assistance, but did she have a job, anything like that?
1: Yeah, she was working, um, mm-hmm. she did, she was working at this place, um, called Juice Bar, I believe it was, um, I thought like one of those places where they do healthy juices, and mm-hmm. like, it's organic, and so she was working there, um, she did different, you know, odd jobs, um, but it was, very difficult because
2: yeah.
1: even though she was engaged to Teddy, um, she was pretty much on her own because he had his own thing going on. And so um, she did have Ethan for a little bit in childcare, care. Um, and then when the relationship between her and Teddy became strained, um, her her depression kicked in and she wasn't really able to handle too much and pride got in the way and so right. it was very difficult for her to reach out to me to ask for help.
0: Yeah. Okay. And you were in, and the, the people should know that you do not live in the New York City area anymore. We're not going to reveal actually I don't think it's anybody's business where you live now, but um you were living though in in the city at this time.
1: Yeah, I, I was living in the city up until Uh, September of
0: 2015. Okay. All right. So you were seeing her go through all these things, uh, seeing these difficulties, but she was trying to make it on her own, and, you know, this was what was going on. And uh, I understand that Teddy, at the time of her disappearance, he didn't live in New York City either anymore? Correct. He was,
1: um, or he is, rather, living in Pennsylvania. But his mother does still live in New York City, and Mm. Ethan is currently living with his mother. Okay. So he does have he does have he he visits frequently to New York
0: City. Okay, but at the time in 2018, when she disappeared, um, he was in a totally different state. That was his residence. That is correct. Okay. And regarding Ethan, was it event? Did it eventually happen that Teddy? had custody. Where was Ethan? Who was taking care of Ethan at the time of Cassie's disappearance?
1: At the time of his disappearance, he was with um, um, Teddy's mom, his grandma.
0: Okay. Okay, was that something that they eventually worked out, like between 2015 and 2018, or how did that happen?
1: So, at the time, um, there was a lot of dysfunction going on between both um Cassandra and um Teddy. And so they Children's Services intervened and um his mother petitioned for custody. Uh eventually they ended up giving custody to um to Teddy after Patsy disappeared. Oh, okay. Um but she had she had temporary physical custody. And then both um Teddy and Cassie had joint custody, but there were restrictions on visitation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um although Teddy was he also had the same restrictions, you know, because Ethan was staying with his mom, he had more access to to oh. Ethan, but mm-hmm. they made it very difficult for Cassandra to have contact with Ethan. Okay.
0: At the time, would you say around Cassie's uh, disappearance, how often would you say that she got to see Ethan?
1: Not at all. They wouldn't let her see him. Cassie, in 2017, had been assaulted,
0: Mm.
1: and um, she was stabbed. Yeah, we're
0: going to talk about that, yes.
1: Right, and because of that incident, um, Teddy's mom made the decision that she did not want Cassie to have contact with Ethan because she feared for Ethan's safety.
2: Okay.
0: Well, let's move right into that, uh, being that okay. that uh, you brought it up and we were going to talk about it. And, and anyway, uh, because I think it's important, uh, let's talk about that stabbing. Um, when exactly did it happen, and why did it happen?
2: It happened
1: in July 21st of 2017. Um, I don't know entirely all the specifics. Mm. I know that I got a phone call at night telling me that um they wanted to confirm if I was Cassandra's mother. I said yes and I had recognized the number being from Lincoln Hospital in the Bronx and I was told that it was a nurse calling to tell me that Cassandra possibly needed surgery. When I asked what surgery, they said your daughter was stabbed. And um I mean, my world went blank. I I couldn't, I I didn't understand what was going on. Um, I spoke with an officer and he told me that she was stabbed about five times. It turned out she was stabbed eight times. She was hit with a pipe in her head. She had lost um, a substantial amount of blood. Um, It was in the Bronx when it happened. Uh, When I asked her, What happened? She said that she had spent the entire day waiting for Teddy to come home. He had told her, from what she said, that he had told her to come to the house to meet up with her, and that she had spent the entire day with his grandparents. And um, in the evening time, he was upset. She was upset. Apparently, he had been with um, this other female, which is the same female that caused for them to no longer be engaged, um, and an altercation occurred between the two of them. Who was the aggressor or not, I don't know, because I was not no. there. Okay. Um, I know that the result was that both my daughter and the other female were arrested for assault. Uh, however, Cassie's charges were dropped. When she got to central booking, when the stabbing took place, I ended up flying to New York and I spent a couple of days with her while she began her recuperation process. While she was in the hospital, I was there to, you know, take care of her, make sure that, you know, um, that the nurses were treating her well, that she, her bandages were being changed. So, so yes, yeah, so I was there for yeah. her throughout that, um, time.
0: Now, maybe you didn't know at the time that this happened in 2017, but in 2020, uh, do you know why the stabbing occurred?
1: I was told there was jealousy um, between both of the females Mm -hmm. that Edgar was present, um, Teddy. He actually had uh, called the cops Um, when the ambulance got there for Cassie, but the the police arrested the girl, Um, and Cassie was bleeding, you know, and she didn't even, I guess, like, her adrenaline was so pumped up, she didn't realize how badly she was bleeding, Um, and so when the ambulance got there, you know, and the police got there, they asked him, like, what do you have to do with this, and he said that he was a bystander. He didn't even know either of the parties. Um, and that he tried to get Cassandra's purse from her. And she had told the EMF that he didn't know me. Why did he want my purse? Um, when I arrived into the, the hospital, she was trying to call him and asking him to bring her clothing, which he refused. Um, hmm. he just, um, I, I I don't know I don't know all of the details I just okay. know like from what I was seeing in person you know I don't okay. want to speculate I don't want to say he did she right. did they did I don't you know
0: okay so um, well I guess what we're establishing here is Cassie once you did see her and you flew to New York and you talked about it, she didn't give you the step by step process of why she got stabbed and how this all happened.
1: She just said they got into that altercation mm-hmm. when she was trying to get on transportation to get back home. It was the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said that she believed that he also took part in hitting her, um, and it, w- it wasn't the first time, so,
0: okay. um, yeah, so. Okay, but we should also establish this woman uh, who stabbed Cassie, did she spend any time in jail?
1: I don't know how long she was in jail. Mm-hmm. I know that she was in jail for a little bit. Um, and she was she went through, like, the arraignment process. Um, but at some point, charges were dropped. And so I don't know who did what. I don't know if this was a decision that was made by the DA's office. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what happened. But I do know that she did not like, due time, time for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that she ended up being Stepmother
2: to
0: my grandson. Wow. So okay. So you're saying that the the woman who stabbed Cassie that night, that sent Cassie to the hospital, eight uh, eight stab wounds, ended up being Teddy's wife or girlfriend to this my day.
1: Girlfriend living in his mother's house. The same woman that said that she was afraid that Cassie would endanger Ethan. Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
0: Are, the, are Teddy and this woman together today?
1: Honestly, I don't know because okay. uh, from what he told the police, he doesn't know her whereabouts, at least that's what the police told me, that they still have not been able to find her to question her. Um, but I, I, I really wouldn't know.
0: All right. I guess what I'm asking is you said that she is the stepmother to Ethan, and that is today in 2020.
1: That was true as far back as at least 2019.
0: As okay. far as 2020, I don't know. Yeah, on this year. Okay, wow. Okay, and we should also establish that, that Cassie did not stab her. She didn't have any – this other woman didn't have any stab. Was only Cassie was the one who got stabbed?
2: Correct. Okay.
0: All right. Okay, that sounds very dangerous. Um, let's move on to this, and this also has to deal, I guess – with what you could call Cassie's social life, and like I said, we talk about these things um, because we just don't know at this point what could have led to her disappearance. But uh, to your knowledge, what you know about your daughter—was uh, she ever into any drugs? Have any addictions? Yes, yeah, she did. Okay, well let's let's just talk about. We'll just touch on this. What, um, you know, how did you, how did that happen, and and what was? She addicted to. Do you believe?
1: So Cassandra has started uh, experimenting, you know, with marijuana, and her greatest supplier was her baby father. Um, and um, eventually she moved on from marijuana to cocaine, and she also did Molly and um, ecstasy.
2: Wow.
0: Okay. Uh, do you believe she was doing these things around the time that she disappeared? I know you said she went to school and she graduated uh you know how how bad was it at the time of her disappearance, and you know did she ever think about going to rehab anything like that
1: So, because you you asked that because before that okay so let me stay back a little bit into twenty eighteen um in 2015, after Rihanna father passed away, I had a very difficult transition, you know, and I was in mourning heavily. And in uh, 2018, I actually uh, decided to get married. Mm-hmm. And Cassandra had noticed the difference, and she had wanted very much to be a part of my life and a part of her sister's life. Um, she and I had been estranged for a little bit um, because of the drugs. Mm-hmm. And so it was. Um, you know, we had to reestablish ourselves as adults, and we had to reestablish ourselves as and, and set boundaries for one another. Um, and in me setting boundaries, you know, I always let her know that I was always praying for her, and um, that that she needed to make some changes. So um, she had called me, and I was visiting my husband in the Dominican Republic, and I had and I. Had, told her. I said, what's going on? Are you okay? She said, mom, I'm really glad that you answered the phone. And I said, why? What's going on? It's the middle of the night. Why are you even up? And she said, well, mom, I just get out of work, but I'm feeling so down and so depressed that had you not answered the phone, I probably would have walked in front of a bus. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I said, baby girl, I said, why, why would you feel this way? Like, like you have so much going for you. And she said, I'm not there yet. She said, every time I feel like I'm getting to a good place, something will happen, and it's so devastating. And so the incident that had occurred was that um, Teddy had told her, um, I'm going to have Ethan, and we're going to go get a haircut, and this is the place where we're going to get a haircut. So if you happen to walk by, you know, it's not like I'm taking him to you, but if you just happen to be there, then you can see him. And when Ethan saw her, he looked at her very puzzled, you know, according to her description, and she said that, he said, is that my mommy that looks like my mommy? Is that her? And that, that really broke her inside. really affected yeah. her. Yes. Because she said, you know, like all of her efforts to get better and to not – on drugs and to not be dependent on anyone, um, they had taken her away from her son, and her son was what got her her motivated. She lived very close to where he was because the school he went to is a Catholic school within walking distance of where Teddy lived, and so she would watch him as he would go to school, but she wouldn't impose herself on him because she wanted to come back into his life healed, whole, complete, and she wanted to fight for him, she wanted him back, and she knew the only way she was going to be able to do that was if she got herself together. you know she knew there was no way she was going to be able to fight for Ethan and to be able to be in his life, if she was going to continue the lifestyle she was living mm-hmm. so she made the decision to not continue to be on drugs and i don't I don't think she was a hundred percent successful with it, but I don't believe that she was Engrossed mm-hmm. in it, because she would call me every night, she would touch base with me she would if she was getting tempted to drink alcohol or to use drugs, she would call me, and we would be on the phone sometimes until six o'clock in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. until she felt well enough that she that she could just go to sleep and so
2: mm-hmm.
1: towards the end i before her disappearance, yeah, I can say that I don't believe that she was a hundred percent. Drugs. I don't believe she was completely away from them, but I don't believe that she was so engrossed in them that she couldn't live without them. Does that make the yeah. sense?
0: And we also have to remember that she did go to school for a year. So that takes a certain right. amount of uh, maturity and discipline and everything, which is usually the opposite of doing drugs. So, um, you know, she's commended to that. So it, it does sound like she was trying to kick it, but we also know that addicts sometimes they relapse. That doesn't mean Absolutely. they relapse for the rest of their lives, but sometimes they do.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I can tell you that before Cassie disappeared, she had spent the day with Rihanna, my eight-year-old. Oh, she was six at the time, and I trusted her to have Rihanna with her, and she went shopping with her, took her to eat, and got the hair and nails done. She had some money in the bank. That's not the characteristics mm. of a person who is, you know, um, so engrossed in drugs that they can't function,
0: you know? Right. I agree with you. I agree with you. Okay. Let's also talk about this, and this is something, once again, we're talking, you know, about a disappearance here, so we have to look at some of these things. This is not to uh, point out in any way we're not making any judgments here, but we also have to realize that we don't know what happened to Cassie, so we have to look at any situations that maybe she could have put herself into that could be dangerous. You told me that she had put herself on a site known as SeekingArrangements.com. I have to admit that I had not heard of it until we brought it up, but um, how did she get involved in this? I don't even know what year it was, but uh, was this something, do you think, that was going on around the time of her disappearance, and maybe you need to just tell everybody what Seeking Arrangements is and how you found out about it?
1: Okay, so speaking arrangements is an online, it's kind of like a dating app or website. And so you have what's called sugar babies, which is what she was considered. So you have like sugar daddies, sugar mommies, which are wealthy or affluent individuals who either they don't have time to looking for a girlfriend and maybe they want to have a date for a specific event, mm-hmm. or it could be something as, you know, an, a married man who's not being, or doesn't feel that he's getting attention from his wife and just is seeking attention, um, many times, it's with the understanding that you're going to go and spend time with this individual, um, and that that person will pay you for your time, but not the services. Um, The website is very clear that they're not a prostitution thing. It's not an escort service, although I know that there are many people that do use it as such. Um, But the policies are, if you're found to be doing those kinds of things, then you are banned
2: uh, Mm. for life. They
1: they, they, they want to make sure that they follow their federal guidelines on what their uh, website is. So... um, in their own terminology, if you choose to have any kind of intimate relations with your sugar daddy or sugar mommy, um, you are not allowed to ask for money for those services because it's not for prostitution purposes. Okay. Now, if, if if that person decides to give you money because of it, then that's something that's totally different, but not because you asked for it. Um. So, Cassandra did have a profile on speaking arrangements. She had it from the time she was, I believe, 19 years old. Um, I didn't know what speaking arrangements was until my older daughter said, "Hey, mom, do you know what Cassie's doing? Because look at look at her having all this money." And so, when I asked her, she told me that she had, you know, in fact, joined speaking arrangements. Um that a lot of times she would just meet guys and have dinner and you know they have what's called like a meeting situation so you go and meet the individual and decide if this is something that you guys want to seek out or not Um, and if you decide to you know retain that person so to speak um, then you would make that decision and so you could have a client, which is what she would call them her client. You would have a client who said, well, I just want to see you once a month, one Saturday a month, and for that one Saturday a month, I'll pay you $1,000. Or I just want to see you once a week and I'll give you a stipend monthly for X amount of dollars for you to just have me as your only client. And then when we go out, I will pay you X amount of money for whatever activity we're doing, whether it was a business function or if it was, like, a reunion, a graduation, a family function, or just to go out to, like, maybe a Broadway place. She told me she went to a couple of Broadway shows, that she would um, go to really expensive-type restaurants. And, you know, a lot of the people were executives, accountants, um, she one time I believe went out with a judge. Um, I mean, there was a lot of people that she would go out with, mm-hmm. but she would she would mostly do the meet and greet. And if she didn't feel safe or comfortable, then she would end it right there. And she was never there was always someone that would go as her backup. Um, I know that her best friend would go with her, and then she would wait for her. Whether it was inside of whatever establishment they were in or, you know, just around the corner, she would, like, she would never go by herself. There was always someone there with her to make sure that it wasn't, like, a psycho person or a sick person or a deranged person. Uh,
0: how how long was uh, Cassie involved in this? Was she involved in this up until when she disappeared?
1: Um, I know for a long time she had stopped being involved with it, and then... I remember having this conversation with her before I came back to New York City. That she was like, you know, I haven't, I haven't done that in a long time. I kind of, I kind of think maybe I do want to do it again, you know. Mm-hmm. But she never committed to it, and so if she did go back on to that, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I don't believe that she did, though.
0: I have to ask: Do you think that uh, Cassie followed the rules of seeking arrangements, or do you think that? There could have been other things going on here. Once again, in my position, I have to ask, but
1: Right. I think that Kathy is a free-spirited person, but she's also She's also a person who's who's shy. So, a lot of pictures of Cassie, you can see her look very sensual, you can see her look very daring, but a picture is one thing and in person she was a completely different person. Um mm-hmm in in person, she would be very coy but very shy about her body. She didn't like to be touched. she did not like for anyone to feel that they had that ability or that they could um overpower her by touching her that was never that was never her style. If she ever did engage in sexual relations with someone or or was intimate in any way with an individual, it would have been. More because of an attraction than because she wanted money. Um, at least not when she was doing seeking arrangements. Now if she was forced. That's a whole different story. Right? Well,
0: yeah. Yeah. We're not talking wow. about being forced. We're talking about adults but, choosing to do these things.
1: Right? No, I, I don't believe that she would sell her body off because she she loved her body. She took mm-hmm. care of it. She was very jealous okay. of you know, um, how she looked, how she represented herself, how she carried herself. She was very vain, very, very vain.
0: Okay, because this is going – this will come up later. Okay, so we get an idea of her social life. She's going to school, um, maybe has some uh, addictions that are off off again, on again. Um, it seems like, uh, you know, Teddy's family not uh, don't like her very much, restricting – Her seeing Ethan, we of course know then also that she got stabbed by this woman who was in a relationship with Teddy and maybe she spent at least a little time in jail, maybe not as much as she should have. So all these things are going on. We also know that uh, Cassie went to school and uh, got her uh, degree there as well. Now let's talk about a guy who's going to be mentioned prominently, I think, uh, eventually. But just in general, who is John O'Brien?
1: John O'Brien is an older gentleman that she met. Um, I want to say it was the end of 2015. She met him through what, what they classify themselves is as the 52 crew, which is – it's not a gang or anything, it's just a group of kids that live in the same area around this uh a park of so and the school and I believe it was like PS fifty two or something like that. And so they were called themselves the fifty two crew and they were all skateboarders. So one of them introduced Kathy to John O'Brien and John O'Brien became instantly enamored with her.
0: Okay, and so what year do you think this happened? How long did they know each other before she disappeared? Just roughly.
1: Um, I believe they met in 2015. Okay. Around that same time, around Christmas time, I was having a conversation with her, and she introduced me, to me over the phone.
2: Okay.
0: And would you say that the uh, they were an item? Of course, we know about Teddy, and they got engaged at one time, but that didn't work out. Would you call John O'Brien uh, a boyfriend of Cassie's or not? I want to say that their relationship
1: was very blurred, but I believe that he believed that they were in a relationship.
0: Okay. And he did have an, a nickname. What is his nickname? Kilo. Kilo. K-I-L-O? Yes. Okay, all right, did you ever uh how many times did you say, of course, we have to remember that at the time of Cassie's disappearance, she did not live in New York City anymore. How many times did you meet John?
1: I met him when when Cassie was stabbed. They had already broken up around the time she was stabbed um, and he found out about the stabbing through Karina and um. He showed up at the house when I was there.
0: Okay. What'd you think of him? Uh, barring outside, every bar, barring everything else that we're going to talk about him later, but at that time when you first met him, what'd you think of him?
1: Well, when I first spoke to him over the phone, I was very cautious. Um, when I met him in person, I was floored. Um, he was a lot older than I thought he was. He's actually closer to my age. And he was very paranoid. Um, he brought drugs to him into the household. Mm-hmm. And he made a comment that just left me cold. Um, he said, um, you know, Cassandra's very lucky to even be alive. And I thought he was talking about the stabbing. But what he ended up saying afterwards, he was like, I could have had her killed so many times. I've had people watching her.
0: Is that what he told you?
1: Yes, that is what he told me. And I told Cassie, what the hell is this man doing here? And why does he think it's okay for him to even say something like that to me? Did he not realize that I'm doing something? And um, she just told me to, to be quiet and to... Just let it fly that she would be with him, that he was apparently taking some substances, and that uh, when he was acting like that, he could be irrational and erratic and unpredictable, so it's best to just not say anything.
0: And because of that, even though he said that, Cassie continued to hang around him?
1: No, he kept coming to the house. Um, Mm -hmm. Cassandra was very annoyed and visibly agitated um that he came to the house and of course he's very he phone, he got her a television set, he got her stuff, you know, and she was like, Well, let us do this. Like I I mean I was sitting in the bed with her. She was like, I didn't ask you for any of this. And he said, Yeah, but I know you're gonna need it, you know? And she was like, Well, I mean I appreciate sure that you got it, but you know I didn't ask you for it. And I don't know what you're gonna ask in return for it. And he was like, Come on, Kathy, don't you know you're my girl. I love you mm-hmm. And he was like, Oh, here we go again. And um and you know, he brought like a like a gym bag with him and in the gym bag he had like extra clothing, he had drugs, he had money and um and he was just
2: a character. Okay. All right.
0: We're going to talk about him a lot uh, uh, later. Um, okay. Uh, of course. So just a shady character. Some. Somehow they ran into each other. He takes a liking to her. He's buying her things. And, you know, I. I it seems they had maybe a relationship one at one time. And like I said, we'll talk about him later. Um, next thing we need to talk about, and this um, happened uh, the the year that she disappeared, 2018, uh, was Cassie raped. And we're not going to use the rapist name, but what, uh, what happened?
1: So, a lot of time, um, the apartment that Cassandra was living in belonged to my daughter, my older daughter, and she had just moved to Pennsylvania. And so that apartment, that living arrangement was no longer an option for Cassandra. They did have a falling out um, before um, before Karina moved to Pennsylvania. And so um, Cassandra had taken her belongings and left. Um, and she, at that point, began to house hop. There was a time where she was homeless. And she called me telling me that she was living in a basement in one of her jobs. Wow.
2: Um,
1: and I told her that I would help her and that I wanted her to come to me where I was. And she said that she didn't want to impose and that she didn't want to be far away from her son, that she's come too close to getting her life where she needs to be in order for her to at least be able to see her son, that she was not going to chance it by moving out of state. Um, when Karina found out what Kathy's situation was, she also tried to get her to come to Pennsylvania because at least in Pennsylvania, it was a lot closer than I was. And um, Cassandra said that she would not be able to because she wouldn't be able to, to commute um, back and forth for her job. So she went to go stay with some friends. Um, she left that friend's house and went to go stay with some childhood friends that she had. Um, remember the building I mentioned that was like, really, really dangerous? Yeah. So um, on that floor, there was a family. It was two boys and a girl, and um, my kids were very close to them, and they had a very dysfunctional life as well. And so they would come to my house to eat, to feel safe. They would come to my house when things in their home wasn't... Um, safe for them, and so I mean they really grew up like an extended family. Um, When Cassie needed a place, uh, the sister said, "I have a place. You can stay here with me for a little bit, at least until you get a couple of paychecks, and you can get your own place." Um, And she was grateful. She she was just so happy she had a place to live. Um, And that lasted for a couple of weeks. And she called me. She said, "Mom." I have a situation, and she was crying, and she was upset. And I said, I said, baby, what's going on? She said, why is it that people look at me like a piece of meat? And I said, what? She said, why is it that I cannot have a male friend without a person wanting something from me? I don't even feel like a person. She said, I feel like if I was just put on this earth to satisfy men. And it broke my heart to hear her say that because, you know, she wasn't raised like that and, you know, for her to feel so broken, it was just really difficult to even hear. Um, and so when I told her that I wanted her to just tell me what was going on, she said, because you know, this guy I didn't when I came to stay here, I didn't realize that he lived here. Um, I thought he lived with his brother. But apparently now that I'm here He's just here all the time. And, you know, I look at him like a brother. I don't look at him like anything other than he could be my brother, you know. And um, he's been making certain passes. He's been making me feel uncomfortable. And I caught him watching me while I was sleeping. And I told him that the first thing that she needed to do was to tell the sister because ultimately that is the sister's home. She is the one that has it, so, and, you know, what the boundaries should be if the three of them were going to be uh, cohabitating. And then there was other, there were, um, the sister had kids there as well. And so, uh, Chassie did speak to the sister, and she was like, oh, he's harmless, You know how he is, you know. And she said, well, can you just talk to him? Well, you know, he calmed down for a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, she, I, I asked her about the situation. She said, well, he's been pretty okay. You know, I think he's mad at me for telling his sister, though. And I said, well, you know, he's going to have to deal with it because if you're not pursuing that type of relationship with him, then he needs to respect the fact that that's not something you want to engage in. So um, Cassie was working at a restaurant, and in the restaurant they were allowed to just ring drink, drink, drink. Uh huh. She had came home, and she had been drinking. Um, it was the middle of the night. It was closer to the morning time, because I noticed she and I spoke at night, and it was about 2 a.m. when I spoke to her. And then she called me, because she would always call me, but she was on the bus, and she would speak to me until she got into the Um, And then she, she said... She called me about 6 o'clock in the morning, almost 7, and I was like, girl, don't you sleep. And she was upset, and she was, it was, you could hear the traffic outside. And I said, what's going on? She said, mom, I can't believe he did that. And I said, what did he do? What? Who did Who did what? She said, mom, he, he was on top of me. I woke up to him on top of me just as he was finishing. And I said, oh, don't tell me that. I said, Where are you now? She said, I'm just walking. I don't even know what to do. I said, Go to the emergency room and get checked. Um, so she did. She went to she went to the closest emergency room to her and she had a rape kit done and um she spoke to someone from um special victims or some you know, special victims something. Um They asked if she wanted to um, bring charges against the person, and she was afraid to at first. And then, you know, she decided that she she wanted to. He was um, antagonizing her. Um, He was making references to a repeat of what had happened, and she was afraid. And so she charges. She spoke to the detective. You know, she was, of course, afraid. She called me and she said, you know, Mom, I don't know what to do. Like, this has never really happened and I don't I, I don't even know how to handle this. And so I told her to go to say to the detective that i have spoken with her previously and to have him arrested, which she did. Um, at the time, she was dating someone that lived in Brooklyn. And so, um, she, after the arrest, she went to go stay with her boyfriend in his mother's house in Brooklyn. Um, okay. and the, she found out later on that he had, uh, taken photographs and some video of the attack. And she actually found out because, again, her first son's father lived and he recognized, um, Cassie has a, a uh she has a bookmark that looked like I used to all the time, it looked like the island of Puerto Rico on her abdomen. And he saw it. He recognized it.
2: Wow. Who saw this? Yeah. Who saw this again?
0: Um, okay, you're going. Uh, you're going a little out, in and out there, uh, Ingrid. Oh, but sorry. M- all right, let me make sure you put your EF, uh mouth right up to the phone. Let me ask you that again. Three, okay. two, one. Who saw this? Uh, these pictures of Cassie from the rape.
1: Jaden's father. She recognized her because of the because of the birthmark that she had in her abdomen. Okay. And so. He called Kathy and he said, "Listen, I just want you to know that um, that this person it show, was showing pictures of videos of this encounter with you, and I know that you wouldn't you can tell that you were not even participating
0: and where were these so, posts where were these posts where were these pictures posted?
1: I don't know that they were specifically posted. he showed them from his phone." They were, they were together. They were all hanging out. Okay. You know,
0: all right. Okay. I just want to make that clear about that. So this guy who raped Cassie was actually showing other guys pictures of her on his phone? Correct. Wow. And did she eventually have to uh, go to court, give a deposition? When did that all happen?
1: Yes, she did. All of that took place in September the week before she disappeared.
0: A week before she disappeared, she had to go. I guess you, w- it would be under oath to make a a statement that I guess would eventually lead to a trial of this guy that raped her.
1: Correct. She okay. went to the grand jury.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, he was tried with. He was um, indicted on seven of eight felony charges.
2: Okay.
0: And at and that any time.
1: On the tenth of September.
0: Okay, and at any time before that or even after that, did she ever tell you about being threatened by anybody to keep
2: her mouth shut?
1: She was threatened by his sister.
2: Okay. All right.
1: And his sister had actually posted a lot of really derogatory things Okay. um, after Cassie went missing.
0: Okay. Uh, And so she gives this deposition. I guess that's what we're just going to – we're not legal experts here, but that's what we're going to call it. And to a grand jury, so not an official trial, but to a grand jury. And then she goes missing not too long after the, that. Did this guy end up going to jail?
1: He was already incarcerated at the time. From the time he got picked up, mm-hmm. um, he couldn't get bail, And so he sat in jail until after the indictment.
0: Okay. I guess what I'm saying is did a trial happen? Was he found guilty of raping Cassie? The
1: trial never took place because – You have a right to face your accuser, and because she is missing, his attorney filed for the charges to be dismissed because she couldn't testify.
2: Well, that's convenient.
0: Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure we were clear about that. So she uh, makes her statement under oath to the grand jury. She disappears uh, a week later. And then at some point after that, whether it's a 2018, 2019, his uh, lawyer says that uh you know we have a right, you know, the victim has disappeared and so you know we can't go through with this trial.
2: Correct. Okay.
0: All right. Um, let's move on to this. This is something you told me, and this goes back to John O'Brien. Um why don't you tell this story? I think this might be very indicative of the kind of relationship that Cassie had with John, that she was out with another guy, and John showed up. What happened?
1: So the guy that she was dating, the one that lives in Brooklyn, um, had mentioned that they had went to um beach in Brooklyn, and that at some point he, that John showed up, and that Cassie had told him. Um, to just go on ahead without her that, you know, she she was going to go meet up with John. See, one thing that I could say, Cassie's not going to lie. If, if Cassie's going to do something, she doesn't hide it. She doesn't conceal it. She doesn't pretend that it didn't happen. You know, she will tell you, this is what I'm doing. You can either deal with it or not. You can accept it or not. It's your choice. I'm not going to force you to accept something. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, I'm not going to lie to you. And so um, Cassie had told him to to just go because she was meeting up with John. Um, he left. He was upset. He went, he went home. And then Cassie showed up not too long after that. I think they were in far off Beach. if I'm not mistaken.
0: Okay, so she's out with this other guy. John shows up and uh, Cassie just drops this other guy to go off with John. And you found this out from this other guy. Yep. He told you that. Uh, he told
1: me he told John, and that, she, that that's what she had told
0: him. Okay. Did she at any time say, or Cassie ever tell you why this particular instance happened? Because I got to tell you, I mean, I've been single long enough to know, and go on enough dates to know that that's pretty unusual, um, you know, behavior. Uh, you know, it, did you ever get an explanation for that?
1: I didn't even know that occurred until Mm. the boyfriend told me.
0: Okay, and that was after she disappeared? Right. Okay, did he? And
1: he was already living in his house at the time.
0: Okay, did he ever have an inkling of why that happened? No. He never said, you know, I found out later, Cassie told me that she did that because. No,
1: not at all.
0: Okay, all right. And I just want to go through this living situation. Again, we know, like you already said, that she was living somewhere where she got raped. But after that rape happened, between that time and she disappeared, where was she living? She was in with the boyfriend. All right, so the, the boyfriend that – just so we're clear, and we don't want to use his name, but the same boyfriend that she was with when John showed up and she left with Wait,
1: him. Wait, hold on. Let me let me back up there a little bit. Okay. In September, the same month the cat went missing – um, things were crazy. In September, she called me and told me she needed me to come up, that she was starting to unravel, and that going to the grand jury was extremely difficult for her. I bet. So, um, but she had also called me, uh, in the middle of an argument, an altercation that happened between her and the boyfriend. Um, she had found some photographs of him sending to another girl. And she got upset, and she was trying to leave his home. Um, in the middle of the argument, the mom kind of intervened, grabbed Cassie by the hair, and Cassie got upset, and Kathy swung at the mom. Now, it was instinctual because I do speak to the mom. After people can tell that Cassie felt like like a trapped animal, that that's how she was looking, and that's how she projected it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the boyfriend did not want her to leave, and so she called me. And she said, "Mom, I need you to call at least cops or something because he's not letting me leave the house." And I said, "I said, him, I said, I'm in the Dominican Republic. My phone won't even reach the United States. Let me just talk to him." So I did speak to him, and I said, "You know, listen, just let her go. Let her, let her just, you know, gather her bearings when she's like this. You're not going to be able to call her." And at her is just going to make things worse. And your mom, tell your mom that you're clear, because if Kathy feels that she is being put like it like um, restricted, she's going to lash out. So just leave her alone. Just let her walk out of the house. He did. to her people, subway station, and she told me it's so pathetic. He's still here, like he's following me, and he's he's really not trying to let me and I said well now you're in a public place so if you feel you know anything happening then I want you to just go up to the total person or the you know the where you can buy MetroCard and let them know that you're feeling threatened so that he will you along." so what she did was she moved um, to Brooklyn and went to the Bronx and was staying with um, a family member um, which is a place that she was known to be actually living.
0: Alright, what family member was this?
1: Um, it was oh my God, so complicated. Okay. So it was family it's Rihanna's family, um, biological family, and it's one of Rihanna's cousins. My okay. my youngest daughter, my eight year old. Mm-hmm. Yes. It it was her cousin. But because they were old Rihanna's father was in our lives for ten years. And Rihanna's father's family essentially adopted
0: my kids um, as their own. And so they all consider themselves family, so it would
1: mm-hmm. have been her cousin. Or like a step-cousin.
0: Right. Okay. Right. All right, so she was staying at a step cousin's. So she was living with this uh, one group of people, and the guy raped her, but he never went to, it was never charged because she disappeared. And then she went back with her boyfriend, and things went bad there. Things went screwy there. And then she ended up being with uh, a a few people of your husband's family. Correct. Okay. All right. All I just want to go, um, before we get in, we haven't even got to the the day that she disappeared, the day into the next day, but I'm going to ask you, I have to ask you these things because um, we do cover these issues on the program and uh, we've covered a lot about Cassie right now, so I'm just going to ask you some of these questions point blank because I have to. Do you believe Cassie could have been involved in prostitution before she disappeared?
1: I believe that if Cassie was involved in prostitution, it wasn't
0: by choice. Well, okay, most—that's uh, uh, that's mostly the case most of the time. So you believe it is possible? Could have been? Could have been? Could have been. Okay. Do you think uh, we talked about, of course, about Cassie's drug issues and and things that she had thing going on at the over the years? Uh, where, what stage do you believe Cassie was at regarding her addictions at the time of her disappearance? and uh, she
1: was struggling with that rock bottom, which is why I came back to New York.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Oops. Okay.
0: And in those those conversations, once again, you were not living in New York City when she disappeared, but in those last few conversations that you had with her before she disappeared, uh, what kind of uh, mental state was she in? Uh, How was she feeling about her life, about herself, about everything in those few days before she disappeared?
1: So she was really happy. Um, She was telling me that You know, she called me one day, and she said, or maybe the week before I came out, she said, you know what, Mom, Um, I want to apologize to you. And I said, apologize for what? What did you do? And she said, you know, I'm so glad that we have reconnected and that things are going the way that they are. Um, She said, now that I see for myself what I've been doing and how I made it so difficult in the last couple of years before, you know, she got stabbed. Because after she got stabbed was when she and I started to reestablish ourselves. Um, she said, I see everything that you said, and I feel, she said, I've been going through, like, my MySpace, I've been going through my Facebook, I've been going through my messages, and I just see how, you know, the things you've been tough had I done those things, I wouldn't have ended up where I was. And, you know, she was for clarity. She was looking for God. She, I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, and so, and I raised her in Christian faith. And so um, she was opening up to wanting to, to have a relationship with God, although she did have questions, and she felt that, you know, maybe she was too far gone in her life. And I told her, I said, you know, you're never too far gone for the love of God. And so, um, there's nothing that you can do or have done that God won't forgive you for. You have to come to him, you know? And so, she was telling me that she was excited and, you know, um, she was just like, I told her, I said, listen, I'm going back to New York and I will move back to New York City if you're going with me. And she was like, you would do that for me? And I said, Of course, you're my daughter. Like, why wouldn't I do that for you, You know? Um and and you know, I know that you need that you need that support and I'm willing to give it to you. You just need to do your part and I'll do mine. And that was the agreement that she and I had. And so um just the fact that I was willing to give her that chance it made her feel hopeful, you know. And I think that she at one point had kind of walked herself and lost hope. And when she saw that I was willing to trust her with her sister, you know, um, it made a huge difference in her, in her attitude, and her behavior. Um, she was starting to reestablish her sister because remember, I said, you know, they had been estranged. Um, and so, you know, for the first time in a very long time, the, the pieces of the family puzzle were coming back together, and that was giving her the motivation to look for better look for not being on drugs look for you know continuing those relationships and you know she knew that he had messed up a great deal, but she also knew she was willing to put in the work so that she wouldn't be in her situation and so I think that you know right before you know she was of course going through the motions, because even the DA told me that she was very conflicted to be raped, that she felt like, you know, that she deserved it, that she wasn't good enough, and that she, you know, um, that her self-esteem had really hit rock bottom, but then, you know, through the love that God gives us, you know, um, she was able to see that there's more to life and that she had, her family that was
0: So overall, you would say that uh, she was in a pretty good frame of mind when you last talked to her.
1: Yes. Okay. When I last saw her, I saw her the week that she disappeared.
0: Okay. You saw her. You were in New York then. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you were, but you had gone back to where you lived before she disappeared.
1: No, I had I I was spending the summer in the Dominican Republic with my husband. Okay. um, But I live in the Midwest, and so um, when when she called me, that she was upset after the grand jury, I got a plane ticket um, to come to New York to reestablish me in New York, and so I got there on the 14th, and she called me. I was in the airport, and she said. so mom, listen. So where are you? I said I'm in the airport in New York. Uh, so I'll see you tomorrow. And she said, Mom, I didn't know you were going to be here this weekend. And I made plans. And she sure. actually moved the weekend with Eddie in Pennsylvania. And um, she said, But I'll, I'll I'll be there Sunday night, or at the latest I'll see you Monday. I said okay. Um, so I'll see you on Monday. And um, she bought. Um, Rihanna, some food at the airport, and she she was like, here, Mom, I'm sending you some money so that you can make sure that my sister eats, you know, and she sent her money to eat and sent her money for snacks and everything, and then um, she said, I'm really bummed because I didn't know you were coming this weekend. I thought you'd be here next weekend. And I said, no, nope, I'm here, you know, and so we saw each other that Monday Um. She was. I had some errands to run, and she said, "You know what, Mom? Just let me stay with my little sister. You know, and I'll spend a day with her, and I'll bring her back to you." And so they spent the day together, and they had they had such a nice time. And I saw her that evening when she came to drop Rihanna off to me, and we had made plans for the weekend. That was my birthday, and um, you know, I remember when she was getting ready to leave. We were sitting outside in my friend's um, in her front yard. And she has a bench, and, you know, we were sitting there just talking and enjoying the day. She did have a conversation with um, the guy that that assaulted her, his sister's boyfriend. And she had told him, can you just call her to please stop posting all these things about me? She doesn't even know what happened. So she does know that her brother raped me, and it's not fair that she's speaking so negatively about me when she doesn't know the truth. And so I, I was there for that conversation, and you know she, she said grew up with, and she knows what her brother's capable of because apparently he's done it to other girls, and I didn't know about this, but she did because it cause it's happened in her house before, and so she um, told me about you know we, had, we conversed about that for a little bit, and then she was like, well it's getting late, you know, and then my best friend. Came. Man, and she talked to my best friend, and that's when we had made plans because um, my best friend had planned to have me come out for Saturday, and she told Cassie, why don't you come with me? And Cassie had said, well, I don't know what my schedule's going to be like because I'm starting to work on this new job on Friday, but if all goes well, then I'll I'll definitely want to hang out with you on Friday, and Saturday my job is not open, so what are you doing on Saturday? And my best friend told her, well, we're going to go to a carnival that my boyfriend, he's the manager of the carnival. And so if you come with us, you know, then you can be on the ride for free. You can eat for free. You know, just have a good time with us. And she said, free ride? And Oops, I'm in. Of course I'm going to be there. And so, you know, we had made plans to see each other. And um, I tried to contact her on that Wednesday. Um, I found an apartment that I was interested in getting. Now, she had wanted me to find an apartment in Brooklyn because she said that it was easier for her to travel back and forth from Brooklyn, and so I found this really, really cute place that, you know, I thought it might be a good one. I sent her a message, but I didn't hear back from her, and um, so the last time that I saw her was that Monday evening, and, you know, I was... As she was leaving,
2: she was, I
1: said, "Hey, baby girl." She's like, I said, "Yes." I said, "I said, I love you. I love you so much." And I gave her a hug, and you know, she hugged me back, and she hugged me back so tight, and she said, "I love you more." And she had like this thing about her smile, and and you know, just the way she turned around and she crucked it you know, the side of her head, and well, I love you more. I was like, Nah, you don't. But I'll see you this weekend, you know. Mm-hmm. And it never came to pile. Like, All right.
0: So let's move up to that day of September nineteenth, two thousand eighteen. What do you know about her movements that day?
1: So uh, that day, the nineteenth, was when I saw that apartment. Okay. And I had um I had texted her but she had not texted me back. And I thought, oh, she's probably busy, and besides, because, like, I knew that she was going to start this new job. I just didn't know what day, and I didn't want to, like, get her into any kind of trouble or anything. So um, so I really didn't, you know, I didn't worry too much.
2: Honestly, um, I didn't worry at
1: all because it was, you know, since we were both in the same city, she was just a few blocks away from me, and she knew she can come to me if she needed me. She wasn't working overnight mm-hmm. anymore, so we weren't talking overnight anymore. Um, it didn't worry me. Um,
0: okay. I guess so maybe I should ask it this way. What did you find out about that night later? What did you find uh, out about that her movements okay, for that so, night?
1: Okay. So what I found out was that um, at approximately 11.50 p.m. on the 19th, she was with John O'Brien. Um, she had told her step-cousins that if she was going to be late or too late, that she would come back early in the morning.
0: Okay.
2: And
1: she
0: left. And did she say where she was going? Did she say where they were going? Did she say – maybe I should ask you this. Since then, have you found out was this common for John to go over there and pick her up and then go, go places? I mean, what do we know about that?
1: off again thing, and so he would just show up. Um, What I found out was that because my grandson, Ethan, his birthday was coming up, that they were going to, he was going to meet up with Kathy to give her some money so that she can buy Ethan a gift.
0: Okay. Okay. So, what you know is that John came, uh, picked her up, that she was with John. They took off, and then what does he say happened after the two of them were together? Or while the two of them were to- together?
1: So he told me basically they were going to go hang out. Now, mind you, I didn't speak to him until mm-hmm. many, many months after Cassie. Okay. But- okay, that's fine. Uh, he said that – all right, so there's a couple things. Um Text messages that happened between John O'Brien and my older daughter Karina stated that he didn't know where she was and that she had left him point blank. Um, and that he was upset with her because he had spent time in London. Left him. What he told me was totally different. He told me that he and her were hanging out, that they were um, over. They were on the uh, East Side Drive, FDR Drive in New York City, and they went over the fifth over the bridge. He was stopped by the police, and they felt he was being targeted. And that Cassie, had at the time was texting a uh, former employer of hers, and that that employer told her to go next day early in the morning for an interview. Um, for the possibility of her being able to go back to that specific job at, at a restaurant that she was working in. Okay. And that uh, she had told him that she needed to get what he said was. She told him that he needed to get her back to the Bronx because she would not be able to go to Long Island, where he's from, or hang out because she wouldn't get there on time, and that she wanted to make sure she gave, made a good impression.
0: Okay, and so what, what does he say he did then with Cassie?
1: He said that they got off a gas station next to the truck, that they did have that he did have drugs in the car, which is why he was worried about the cops stopping him, and that he didn't want to go through that again, that he gave her money for MetroCard, gave her money for Ethan for his birthday, and that she had to go to the bathroom, so he took her to a gas station. That she left the gas station, and that he took her to the train station, and that that was the last piece of
0: her. And this would have been a train station to take her back to the Bronx once again. I, we, and we're not going to get on all the uh, intricacies of this because most people do not live in New York City or haven't been there. But this would have been a train station that would have eventually taken her back to the Bronx. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. And so that's well, just she
1: would have had to transfer, but yeah. Okay. All right.
0: So that was what he, John says he believed Cassie was going to do. He dropped her off at the train station, subway station. She's going to go eventually back to the Bronx. How long of a ride do you think that would be from that station back to where she needed to go? Approximately.
1: Well, if it, if it was the middle of the night, I want to say maybe an hour and twenty minutes. Okay. If it were, if it were during other times, you know, because of the way the train systems work. Maybe 40 minutes, if that, 35, 40 minutes.
0: Okay. And by contrast, if John would have driven her back to where she needed to go back home, how long would that have taken?
1: About 20 minutes.
0: Okay. So an hour and 20 minutes versus 20 minutes. Right. Okay. All right. And so he says that he dropped her off at the train station and he never heard from her again and did he not say something about maybe getting pulled over again or did i it was just
1: the one time that he got pulled over all right and he's claiming that
0: all right and that he's claiming that Cassie was with him when that happened correct okay all right now that day September 19th um into the next morning did you know that night that she was she was with John or did you not find that out until later I found out later. Okay. All right, so we move into September 20th, and we'll get into some more of the intricacies, but when did you know something uh, wasn't quite right? It Was it because uh, you tried to call her or text her or somebody was trying to reach her and couldn't reach her? When did you kind of think, man, something's not right here?
1: On September
0: 21st. Oh, it took 20th. you until – all right, so it took you to not the 20th but the 21st. And uh, how did that all come about?
1: So I, uh, and I had told, um, I had texted her because she didn't want me in the hospital with Rihanna. She's general. And so she didn't want Rihanna to have to be in the hospital in uh, the emergency room. So I let her know listen, I'm here. And if you want to come get your sister, you're more than able to do so. And then, um, when my phone went off about an hour later I thought, Oh Lord, this is probably arguing with some nurse or some answer the phone but it was not Cassie. It was um, the step cousin's mother called to tell me that Cassie was looked she look, yeah, what she didn't even say at first. She said, When was the last time that you spoke to Cassie? And then I told her that I had seen Cassie that Monday. I said, Why, what's up? And she said, English, Cassie and her frog. And the last that I spoke with her, she told me that she was with Kilo and that he was acting rather odd and that she was concerned.
2: Huh. Okay.
0: So that's what they told you. you, What did you do when you heard that? Did you call? Did you try calling Cassie? Did you try texting her? Did you call John and try to talk to him? What did you do?
1: I tried calling Cassie several times. I tried texting her. Um... I did try and get in contact with John, but not until the next day, because at this point, you know, um, John had been known in the past to have passed with him for several days at a time,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so it wasn't unknown for him to do that. Um, I know that I contacted my daughter, Karina, and I told her, I said, Karina, um, try getting in contact with your sister, because... I'm being told she's missing. Um, I went the next morning, early, early in the morning, to the police station to report her.
0: Okay, so on September 22nd is when you went to the police and you filed a report. Correct.
1: All
0: right, and I did say that uh, the police, what I would call quickly, they, uh, she ended up, Cassie ended up being on NamUs, uh, national Database for Missing People uh, fairly quickly, within nine days uh, from the time of her disappearance until she was posted. So it was even quicker than that. It was like less than a week. Okay. And what did what did they do? Uh, did they take it seriously? Do you know if they went and talked to John? Anything like that? Well,
1: initially, they didn't want to take the complaint. Because we said, you know, that yeah. she is 25 years old, she's a female, um, she's probably working. I mean, they kept giving me all kinds of reasons sure. why she wouldn't be answering her phone. But the biggest thing that I had, you know, in my corner was, I'm sorry, today's my birthday. And Cassie usually fights people to be the first person to say happy birthday to me. There's no way in the world that Cassie would not be in contact with me. At this hour of day, without saying how I'm working. Kathy and I had our issues, but you know, she she's Mm -hmm. like, "You're lying. You belong to me." You know, and so uh, and if I tell her I'm worried about her, she calls me right away. Okay.
2: Uh,
1: Yeah. So they ended up going to the job that she was supposed to start, and they the the job told her that she never reported in that she was expected the day before, actually, and that they had also tried to contact her, but that they couldn't. Okay. Um, I called Karina and told her what was going on, and I told her she supposedly was with Kilo, and so Karina started trying to call Kilo to find out, and that's when he sent her the text message that she had left him flat and that she needed to bet with her. Um, okay. And then, um, I mean, yeah, So. It's,
0: Okay. All right, do you know if the police though at that time uh, tried to track John down and ask him some questions?
1: They did. And it took them a long time to find him too. Okay. They, said, they, they spoke with him. They spoke with Teddy. They spoke with the boyfriend. Um, I do believe that they did lie a little bit. Um, the, the officers that were assigned to the case um, got reassigned to the U.N., uh, the U.N. Recession. So um, there was a lot of things that, a lot of communication, I think, that they didn't get to have on time. Um, I, I did, you know, I mean, I'm not a theater I, I know nothing about, you know, surveillance or anything, but I started going into, like, people's Facebook, you know, uh, people that were in common between um, Cassie and Kilo. Um, areas and stuff. And so I was able to locate a couple of addresses through parking tickets. And I went into the block of where Kilo would hang out, and I spoke with someone there who told me that she, that she did, in fact, see Cassie on the 20th with Kilo and Kilo's other girlfriend who was pregnant at the time, and that the girl had mentioned this this, this Witness I mentioned, um, Kathy's here, you know, Cassie got back together, and he was like, You know, she's my baby, she's always gonna be my baby. And, um, and he was like, Yeah, we're getting back together. And he, you know, this witness told me that he really believed that they were getting back together. Um, that was the last time that I could say anybody saw my daughter really
0: like that actually saw her okay all right what were your feelings at the time when you um on september 22nd 23rd 24th 25th uh did you suspect that being that you did find out that she was with john did you think something bad happened or did you think that you know she you know she just ran off with him or you know for some days Uh, what were you thinking at the time, uh, late September 2018?
1: Um, I was conflicted. I was like, oh, my God, please do not let it be that I'm filing a police uh, police report that she's not really missing. I think that that was, like, very top of my head because the last thing a person is going to imagine is that their child is going to be missing all this time. Sure. Initially, I was thinking that maybe she was somewhere and that she just needed a break. Um, Not for me, per se, but I think that she just felt overwhelmed at the time. I don't know. Like, I guess I've had so many feelings about it. So, you know, I still have even more feelings about it because inherently as a parent, you don't want to think my child is out there being hurt, that my child is out there against their will. My child is out there going through who knows what, you know? And so I think that in order for me to maintain my sanity, it was easier for me to think, this is nothing. This is just, you know, this is just Cassie being Cassie. And, you know, like I was very adamant that, you know, because I did feel that there was something going on, but at the same time, I didn't want to feel that something was going on. You know, I think I was in a great deal of denial about the, severity of her situation, Um, and, you know, like I said, Einstein is 2020, and I wish that I would have pushed even further, and I I wish that I would have been a little bit more vocal with the police um, when they were first questioning me and questioning the situation and circumstances. and it's not that I didn't want to defend my child because they, you know, they were like, "Well, you know, your daughter's been arrested." Okay, yeah. What does that have to do with what's going on right yeah,
0: now? Yeah, nothing. Um, it,
1: it was just, it was just maddening, you know, that I was being told that if she were a boy, a male, or if she were a minor, that she would have more attention. But but because she's a beautiful twenty-five Latina woman in New York City, that she would not have, um, she would not have coverage, or she would not have the attention had she not been a twenty-five-year-old pretty Latina in New York City. And that I was actually told by the police
2: department. Mm. Okay.
0: All right. Let's move on to the rest of the case. Like I said very early on, Joan O'Brien was going to me. A prominent part of this discussion, and, of course, he's been mentioned quite a bit in the last half hour. So let's move on to some things. Uh, he says that he dropped Cassie off at this train station. Were the police ever defi- – ever fi- did they ever find any video to support this? Did the police even do that?
1: Not to my knowledge.
0: Okay. All right. So we don't
1: – in- every inch of the subway under surveillance.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, so you're not sure that whether or not they did or not. Uh, you've never seen any video of her getting out of his car, her, her her walking out into the platform. Nothing like that ever.
1: The only video that police were able to recover was on the 19th, when she first exited the building. She helped him with some packages, then they see her exiting the building, turning left, which would have put her
0: on 161st street in the Bronx. Okay. All right, so there's no evidence to support his claim that he dropped her off at the train station.
1: None whatsoever.
0: Okay. Uh he says that they got pulled over that night. Uh any record of this is it, uh, I'm guessing you told the police that he said that or maybe eventually you told them or something. Uh any record of this um, Did he tell the police that when you know they went to talk to him? What about that situation?
1: But he never told the police that, and the police did question him for several hours. Mm-hmm. When they did finally get in contact with him, mm-hmm. um, there is no record as far as him being stopped, unless it would have been like a, a routine traffic stop. If, from what the police told me, if it was vice. Or if it was that they suspected that maybe he had like, if he would have bought drugs and they were doing, like, a sweep, that that would not have been recorded either unless an arrest was made. And so they said, we can't say it didn't happen, but we cannot say it did happen because not every stop is actually recorded if it is an undercover operation. If it is a uniform operation, then it would be recorded. And John never specified whether it was undercover, which I, I believe it probably have Then, if it were true, as opposed to the, as opposed to it being um Uniform. uniform. Okay. Uh-huh.
0: All right. So, but you've never been presented with any record of that. There may be a record somewhere, but you've never been presented with any record showing that john and cassie got pulled over that night before she disappeared
1: no not at all i mean not even nypd has that because i asked them and they looked and they said that they have no record of an official stop for his vehicle okay vehicle he was driving
0: now this gas station that he talked about what did uh that john mentioned uh what has he said about this gas station when asked to locate it nothing
1: I asked him where, what gas station, and he said it's one close to the train station, and that was all he said.
0: Okay, couldn't pick, couldn't pick it out, couldn't tell you how far it was, couldn't tell you the cross streets, nothing.
1: No, nope, he just said it was close to the. He just said it was close to the subway station.
0: Okay. All right. Now you did say that even though John and Cassie were together that night, that. Uh, He had a girlfriend that was pregnant at the time. How did she and Cassie get along? Any idea of how she felt about Cassie and John being together that night?
1: Honestly, I don't know. Um, I've never spoken to the girl. I don't know who she is. Um, But the witness that saw Cassie said that the three of them were in the car together.
0: So they were all three together? So it wasn't just John and Cassie, but it was the three of them together, this witness said this.
1: Right, in the morning when, in the morning of the 20th, mm-hmm. she said that the three of them were together, and that's when he questioned Kilo um, and said, you know, oh, so you're with Kathy, and they were like, well, what about this girl who's pregnant? How is she hanging out with you guys? And she's pregnant with your kids. And she was like, John, you're so crazy. He's like, Are you know, you're just crazy. I don't think you're thinking about this, but you're crazy. And then he just laughed at it. He thought
0: it was funny. And if you, I don't, I'm not saying you have to say this person's name, but who is this witness that saw uh, John with his girlfriend who was pregnant and Cassie together? Who is this person?
1: It's a person who lives in the same block where they hang out, and they have, that John has been known to hang out in. And I asked her how do you know my daughter? And she said, she's been to my house. Of course I know your daughter. She was like, you have an amazing girl. She's very sweet and very helpful and very kind. And she was describing Cassie to me. So there's no doubt in my mind that she knows Mm
2: -hmm.
1: very well who Cassie is and would have been able to identify her. Pick her out.
0: All right, and do you know what approximately what time this person saw the three of them together?
1: She didn't say. Okay. She didn't say, and then um, there was an older gentleman um, that came in, and although he also said that he did see um, he was very reluctant to speak, and he told the person that I was speaking to that he would prefer that she no longer continue the conversation with me.
0: Okay. Do you know, um, did John, not saying we believe this, but this is what he said, do you know at what time he claims he dropped Cassie off at the train station? Any idea what time no. he, he claims he did that?
1: I don't know, but I do know that the detectives say that the car that he was driving was time stamped throughout the different toll that he would have had to go through to get home. But I don't know any time.
0: Okay. We do have this witness who claims the three of them were together sometime that morning on the 20th, sometime. So if he dropped her off, it had to have been after that. But it's just interesting to me that if this witness saw the three of them together, it's funny how John never brought that
2: up. Right. Okay. Uh And also, by the time he
1: dropped her off, from what the detective said, they can see. Inside the car,
0: like
2: as you go through
1: the toll booth, you know, mm-hmm. it has pictures. Okay. Um, And
0: he's alone in the car. He's alone in the car. So not only is not Cassie in the car, but his girlfriend's not in the car either. Correct. Okay. Uh, but did he ever tell you what time this toll booth picture was taken?
1: No.
0: All right. All right. Now, I'm sure being that Uh, This is the 21st century, and this happened in 2018. We have to talk about phone calls, and uh, there are a multitude of them. Um, Cassie, if we were to believe it was her using her own phone, Uh, after John picked her up 11-something on the 19th, uh, her phone continued to be used into the next morning. And the listeners should also know that um, we've done some work here at Unfound to give – Ingrid uh, put names to a lot of the numbers that uh, are on the records because Ingrid was very gracious in giving us the records so we could look into them for ourselves, and one of my assistants is doing some work on that as we speak, and hopefully after this interview is over, I'll be able to uh, expound on that a little bit more. Um, Like I said, there's a multitude of them. How did you get the records in the first place? MRPD. They gave them to you? Wow. Okay. That was kind of them. That usually doesn't happen that way, Ingrid, if you don't know. Um, So, okay, so they gave them to you. Do you know if um, they looked into any of these numbers, talked to any of these people? Have they ever told you anything about that?
1: I know they said that they were looking into the last phone call, um, and they had questions about some of them, but – they could not elaborate
2: mm-hmm. because
1: they said that um, because it's a pending investigation, that there's a lot that they're not allowed to share with me. Um, they didn't say anything as far as they were leading into something. I actually uh, spoke with the detective via email about a month ago where I asked them if there were any updates. And, you know, the response that I got was I was actually hoping maybe you had an update or maybe you had a lead because all of the leads that we've had have come back empty
2: okay
0: all right so you got these records and the last call that was made from cassie's phone um of course we know that it doesn't necessarily have to be cassie but what we're saying is no outgoing calls after this one and it seems that Anybody who tried to call the phone or text the phone never got a response, and this was roughly around 7 a.m. on September 20th. Uh, Who was this call to?
1: Um, I'm not even sure.
2: Okay.
0: All right, but we do have the records, and – Right, we do have the
1: records.
2: Okay.
0: So let me – let's maybe try doing it this way, just so uh, all the listeners know. Uh, When – let me – I first have to explain something to the listeners. Uh, Ingrid gave us the records. They are extensive. In fact, the records that you gave us go the whole way back to August of 2018, and they go well past the the accepted disappearance dates of either the 19th or the 20th. They go up to like the 27th or 28th, something like that. And what we did was using some databases that are free and some deba- databases that you have to pay for – Uh, We were able to put together names with a lot of the numbers. And just a general, and I gave you the names of uh, many of the people uh, that those numbers go to, Uh, would you say that you recognize many of those names, none of those names, 10%? You personally, what would you say?
1: Um, I'm looking at them now, and I can tell you I recognize one name and one phone number.
0: Just uh, who who is this person?
1: That is the uh, step aunt.
0: Step aunt. Okay. Mm-hmm. Would this have been one of the people that Cassie was living with at the time?
1: No, she lives in Florida. And oh, okay. She's actually the one that was talking to Cassie when she said that she was with Hilo and that mm. he was acting strange.
0: Okay, so that is that phone call. That's the one okay. that you see on there that you can pick out. Do you believe that name that you see on the 19th, maybe even earlier the 20th, that's the one in which Cassie said, you know what, John's acting a little weird? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, let's move on to this. Now, the last phone number, we're not going to give the, the number out, but uh, we were able to track down at least one name that can be connected to the number. And the name, according to the database, now is Eric… Middle initial G, Petaway, have you ever heard of him?
1: No.
0: Never? Okay.
1: Never.
0: Okay. And I would remind the listeners that it is possible, even though this is a relatively new disappearance, at least in Unfound's world from about a year and a half ago, it very well could be whoever had the number at the time of Cassie's disappearance could have gotten rid of that number and somebody else could have that number. So it could be that Eric Petaway The number that he has now that is connected to Cassie's records, he may not have had that number at the time. However, given that the disappearance was only a year and a half ago, I'm inclined to believe that is his number. But you have never heard of Eric Petaway?
1: No, not at all.
0: Okay. All right. And We did look up um, some information on him, uh, and he's been in court, but just for some custody issues, some other things, and he is in his 50s. Another the name that uh, was connected. Uh, the reason that this number caught our attention was because there were many calls from this number before Cassie disappeared, but none after. And this number uh, is connected to a woman. Her name is Eloise Peralta. Have you ever heard of her before? No. No, at all. Um, and you actually called this number. And what happened?
1: Oh, my God, I called so many
0: numbers.
1: Um, <laughs> that's, that's the one where I called and a guy picked up the phone
0: mm-hmm. and
1: said so that that number did not belong to this individual.
0: Okay. So it could be either that this person is lying or that the database uh, that we had is not up to date. It's possible either way. Um, but those were two numbers that in our estimation caught our attention once again because one was the last number that the phone dialed and the other one because the number was used so many times before and then nothing after. So why did this person never try to call Cassie again? We just don't know. But uh, listeners should know Eloise Peralta, according to our records, is in her 80s. So I'm inclined to believe that maybe it's the phone is in her name but somebody else was using it in fact um ingrid you said that there was a situation with another number on that list that you didn't you didn't recognize the name right away but then you figured out it was connected to a guy that cassie knew correct Correct? some guy that she had left something at his house and he was trying to get back in touch with her or something right
1: that night um on the 19th yes she had she had texted him and said that she needed to, actually, I'm sorry, not the 19th, the 20th. She had texted him and told him that she had left a blouse in his house and that she needed that blouse because that's the one she wanted to wear to go to um, the interview and that she was on her way to go get it. But according to him, she never showed up. And he did, he actually, in the the statement that he gave was that not only did, did she not show up, she didn't call him or anything, but he texted her telling her why was it that she had not um, come to the house or that, you know, but but this happened over 24 hours after he was already waiting for her.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Did he, when she, uh, when they had this exchange that she was going to come over, did, when was she supposed to show up at his place to get this?
1: Around nine ten o'clock
0: morning. Of oh, September 20th.
1: Yes.
0: Okay. Uh, and she didn't show up. Okay. So yes, there was that number on the list, and it was connected. I don't It was connected, to the way I remember, it, to a woman's name, but you found out that this number actually was, I don't know, this woman's son or, or something like that, right?
1: Right. I oh, think it was a grandchild. Grandson.
0: Okay. And it very well may be in Eloise Peralta's uh, case uh, situation
1: uh, as
0: well. Uh, the tough part, though, is, um, and I'll just say this: we've not really been able to figure out on that list what number John's is. Right. Right. We do, even though we have all of uh, her records, we're not sure. I'm inclined to believe that that Eric or Eloise's was. The, john's number at the time that's that's my gut what my gut tells me but we are not sure about that okay so you never so did you ever have john's number or or not you said you tried to contact him did you ever have it did any of your uh your maybe your other daughter your older daughter your oldest daughter have it anybody have it
1: my older daughter and my son um they both had it. My One of my sons actually worked with him, uh, but neither one of them have the cell phone that that number was taped on, oh, wow. unfortunately. Okay.
0: Well, it might be worth their time. They could probably still access maybe an old account or something like that and maybe look they that number. They, they
1: tried. They tried. that because, those were, mm. because they were prepaid phones yeah. that, they, that the company didn't have it, unfortunately.
0: Wow. That would be interesting to find out what number it is. I'm inclined to believe it's either Eric's or Eloise's, uh, i got to tell you, because as much as she and John had interactions, they had to have texted each other and called each other many times.
2: Okay. Right. Okay.
0: All right, so we have John. He's telling these stories. Has John ever offered up any theory to anybody as to what he thinks happened to Cassie?
1: Not to my knowledge. I don't know. He was missing for a long time after Kathy disappeared. And so, um by the time I got to speak with him, she disappeared in twenty eighteen, I didn't him mm-hmm. until twenty nineteen.
0: Did anybody ever figure out where he was when he when he quote unquote disappeared?
2: No, because he pirated his cell phone.
1: And so he told the police that Because of the fact that he was going to be a father, that he wanted to change his life and that um, he was not going to be hanging out the way he used to and that he decided to get serious about his life so that he can be a good father to his child and that he didn't want to complicate his girlfriend's life and that, um, that he just, you know, stepped away from life in New York City, so to speak, and that he just went back to doing his construction work in
0: Long Island. And his family owns a construction company, correct? Correct. All right. Do you think any – I'm guessing then they knew where he was during this time. His, 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 uh, the woman that was having his child certainly knew where he was. His other family, his parents probably knew – where he was, but anybody trying to get in touch with them regarding Cassie's disappearance couldn't find him.
1: Well, from what they told the police, because they lived so far out into the city, I mean, outside of the city, that they they weren't even getting reports of, like, news from New York City. And so they had no idea that um, Cassie was missing, that his parents, the police found him through his parents, and that the way they were able to find out about Cassie. Actually, one of the detectives from their local town came to them and asked them if they knew who Cassandra was, and they said, yes. They were like, oh, you know, our son, you'd date her. And they were like, oh, so you are, in fact, John O'Brien's parents?" And they were like, yeah, what's going on, you know? And so the father, who's, you know, older and sickly, had said, um, you know, they put him on speakerphone, and they said, well, you know, this is detective such and such, and, you know, we're here to ask you some questions, and that he spoke to the detective.
2: Okay. All right.
0: Um, So the parents are saying they didn't even know that Cassie was missing. I guess that means that John never told them that Cassie was missing? Correct. All right. Let's move on to this, and we cannot forget this. Obviously, John's statement, not a lot of uh, facts to back it up, but we cannot forget about this. Just to remind the listeners that Cassie, a week before, had uh, made a statement in regards to her being raped the summer before. Uh, She did receive threats, uh, at least from one person, that being the alleged rapist's sister, and... I have to ask this: To your knowledge, John O'Brien and this rapist—did they know each other? Uh, were they friends? Any belief that maybe John should be believed and he/she did—he did drop her off, and somehow this guy who allegedly raped Cassie—they ran into each other. Uh, did John and the rapist know each other? They knew each other, but they weren't
1: friendly with one another.
2: At least, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and. Um, the rapist. He was incarcerated at the time, and the police said that they don't believe that he's smart enough to have done something to Kathy.
0: Well, we wouldn't want to under, um, we wouldn't want to underestimate anybody. But are you saying then on the ninth, right. the nineteenth and twentieth of September, two thousand eighteen, that the alleged rapist was in jail? Yes. Okay. Do you have any idea how John reacted? When he found out that this guy had allegedly raped
2: Kathy, no, nah. did does anybody? Uh, I don't
1: know, but I know that he was always very possessive of Kathy and very protective of Cassie in his own way. Like he like to me, very narcissistic. Um, but I believe that if John in fact um had prior knowledge um i don't believe that that person would be able to talk about it cuz i think that john would have retaliated because he viewed mm. cassie more as like his personal possession
2: mhm
0: okay um but you don't know how john reacted nobody told you cassie never told you anybody else never told you how john reacted when he found out that cassie had been allegedly raped and that she was going to make the statement none of that no Do do you even have it? Please. From
1: what I know of John and the vibes I got off of him when I first met him, uh, if he had knowledge of Cassie being hurt by this person, I I believe that he would have wanted to hurt this person back.
0: Okay. Do you think that any... Is there any proof that John supported Cassie uh, testifying? Did he... I guess what I'm asking: Did he drive her to the co- to the lofts or the courthouse where she had to do this? Did he console her in any way? Keeping in mind that he has this other woman that's carrying his baby, etc. Any um, proof that he offered any sympathy regarding Cassie being raped at all? Not to me. Not no. To okay.
1: Um, I know he kind of sort of was about to touch on the subject, and then.
2: He dropped it just as quick as he was about to say something. So. Okay. Okay. So he, you, even though
0: you saw him that one time there, that that did not come up. No. All right. Okay. All right. So we've covered these, you uh, know, different all this different information. Uh, we talked about John. We talked about the the phone records. I should ask you this regarding the phone records. Has anybody ever been able to tell you, being that you got the records from the police, which I think is uh, a very uh, good thing for them to do, that was very nice of them to do that, uh, any idea where her phone last pinged? Not the last phone call, but where it last pinged.
2: No,
1: they said that they needed to have some technicians um, do some other stuff to it, to the phone itself to get something accurate, but I know that there was a lot of issues regarding privacy laws and the fact that we had to convince a judge that Kathy was, in fact, missing and endangered and that it wasn't that we were infringing on her privacy. Mm
2: -hmm. And so
1: it may have been after the time that they would have been able to find accurate information.
0: Well, you know, it's it's been a year and a half. I'm thinking that in some computer out there somewhere that, that, you know, information might be saved, but it also might be helpful to know um, what, whose plan was Cassie on? Do you know her cell phone service? She had her own plan, and I remember
2: paying for some of her, some of the months.
1: She would call me and ask me to, like, pay for her, and then sending would me the money
0: back afterwards. Okay, so it was not a pay-as-you-go phone. It was a more um, common
1: yeah, – it, it was. It was a Boost Mobile phone.
0: Boost Mobile. Okay, thank you. All right. Okay, when was the last time you spoke to uh, NYPD about Cassie's disappearance? About
1: two weeks ago.
0: Okay. And what would you say the status – uh, you know, I guess the the good thing about the NYPD is they actually do have a missing persons department. Most of the most of the departments that we talk about don't have anything. But uh, what would you say? What, what what is their attitude toward Cassie's disappearance at the time? Do you know? Do you believe that they are um, working on it? Do they think that she was murdered? Are they suspicious of John? Can you say?
1: So some of what is they said has been privileged, and so mm-hmm. there's some things they don't allow me to talk about. Okay. However, they, they will allow me to say this much. Um, the area where John says that he dropped Kathy off, and mind you, they're going by hearsay, is yeah. um, that it is a high-trafficking area. So um, there are certain units that have been deployed uh, trying to get information to see if that's what could have happened to her.
2: Sex trafficking. Um,
1: right. Okay.
2: Okay.
1: Um, they do have, as you stated, the missing persons unit, and there is a detective assigned to the missing persons unit. However, I have never specifically spoken to that detective all of my contacts and the detective that I that I work with and the lieutenant that I work with are all with the forty second precinct. Um and it's the, the initial detective that was assigned her case.
2: Okay. And So
1: he worked collectively with the missing person's unit. Um I also know that they did have um the behavioral unit, um, the FBI come out and do like a fresh set of eyes from what they said and this was their words. Okay. On the on the um on the evidence that they have so far, and they then she also is on the Interpol website um, as being missing and endangered as well.
0: All right, and I think I said very early on in this conversation that I know that Cassie's profile went up on NamUs very quickly. I saw that, of course, her disappearance date. Uh, on Namus is September 19th, although there may be some evidence here that the disappearance date should be the 20th. But I saw where her file was put up on Namus on the 28th of September, which is very fast. And uh, I, I need to commend NYPD because we've covered disappearances on Unfound that are years old and never been put, put up there. So, um, oh, wow. you know, they, yeah, oh, yeah, certainly true. So I need to commend them uh, for that. Um,. Uh, maybe I need to ask you this one more time. Uh, Have they ever expressed a certain opinion about John or anything? I have to ask. If you just say you can't say or they haven't said anything, that's fine, but have they ever offered up an opinion on John O'Brien?
1: They basically said that they they don't have evidence to prove or disprove anything, Mm -hmm. and so he's not considered a person of interest, but he's not not considered a person of interest,
2: so it's like yeah. they
0: don't know where to go with him. Okay. What is uh, – you said that John wanted to clean up his life and everything. What has he done since 2000? We know that he seemingly disappeared himself for a little while, uh, but is he still with the woman who was pregnant with his child at the time? Are they together? Has he been in jail? Do you know anything about you know what his current state is in fe- February 2020?
1: Not really. Um, I spoke to him once in March – no, in February of 2019. Okay. And then I spoke to him again in April of 2019. And at that point, he was still with the, the young girl. Um, but I, I don't know anything after that April conversation.
0: Okay, so we don't. And the
1: number that the number that NYPD had for him has since been disconnected.
2: Okay,
0: so you did have a so you had to call him to contact him. Yeah. All right, and you when don't he, you, and you don't have that number anymore. He,
1: no, when he spoke with NYPD. Um, he told them that he wanted to talk to me, and but initially, and NYPD did they wanted me mm-hmm. to speak to him, but over the phone uh, at the precinct, um, they were hesitant about him having a conversation with me by myself. I guess they thought I was going to leave it. And then mm-hmm. um, months later, they ended up giving me the the, um, the phone number uh, to see if maybe he would tell me something, but. He never, he never indicated anything other than what we've discussed.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, Including never giving his own theory as to what happened to her. Correct. Okay. And you don't have that number now, a year later?
1: I have, I might have it written down somewhere, that the detective gave it to me again, but he said that this number was disconnected.
0: Okay. That's well uh don't of course uh I would like to see that number, have that number if you can find it uh you know, we'd certainly like to look at it uh see what we can do with it, you know, just you never know okay w um, i ha obviously this has been very difficult the last year and a half, I'm sure this has been the worst uh time of your life. Uh, Ingrid, how are your other children handling it?
1: Um, I think we're all coping very different. Um, I and myself, after Cassie went missing, um, I ended up losing my housing subsidy, and so I was homeless for the past year and a half. I actually just got oh into an apartment just a month ago. Um, my 8-year-old has been terrified that she will go missing. And um, it's been a very difficult adjustment for her. Um, My son, that's in the hospital right now, can't even mention her name without breaking down. They were always very close. My other son, Luke, is very angry and um, volatile. So it's been very difficult for all of us. Um, I've I've had a couple of health scares and. You know, um, it's just just been awful. Um, My eight year old says, Mommy, my 20 is missing because they have pictures of them looking so similar at Rihanna's age. Mm -hmm. And their facial features are very similar. And so, you know, sometimes I'll just sit and cry. And she's like, Mommy, you're thinking about Cassie, then aren't you? You know? some days are better than others. And some days, you know, I have to pick myself up and and some days I don't want to. Um, Cassie has always been very near and dear to my heart, and um, when she suffered, I suffered, I and mean, when she was sad, I was sad, and and now she's missing. And you know, some days I think about the weather, and she's sick, she's cold. Like right after I had that first conversation with John, um, that evening I was getting text messages from someone making threats saying that they had her yeah. and that she was chained up somewhere in a barn. Yeah. And they wanted money.
0: Scammers, yeah.
1: Yeah. It was a scammer, yeah. I did yeah. I did end up, you know, contacting the FBI and giving them that all that information and um you know, they said that it came from a robocall on a computer. But just the cruelty, you know. Um, sure. They were telling me that because I was unwilling to
0: give them money that I could find her body with a bullet in it. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. Ingrid, you don't know how many, yeah, many of my guests tell me the same story. Same thing. Right. It's, hor- it's horrible. Yeah, very common. Very, very common. In fact... uh. A woman who still has yet to appear on the program, uh, I was helping her, and uh, she was this close to going to meet one of these scammers like with $5,000. And I said, oh I said, you go and do that. You may go missing yourself. And so, luckily I was able to talk her out of it, and she finally figured out that I was right. But she was absolutely convinced that these people had her daughter, and I said, no, they don't. They don't. So um,
1: Because they know, they they do their homework, like they were telling me about her cousin,
2: oh,
1: about yeah. her conception line, and about, um, about her birthmark, you know, things like that. Like they really go and they mm-hmm. make it worse because not only are they trying to scam money off of you, but they give you like this hope because then, you know, even though you know it's a scam, there's a part of you that says, oh my God, but what if, what if, you know. Um and and sometimes it's a matter of like look, I know someone knows what happened to her. I know that there's someone out there that is holding on to this deep dark secret and it's making you hurt and it's making you not be well because a human being cannot be well with knowing there's another human being utterly utterly suffering or maybe not here. And you know family and you know what we're going through and You're losing sleep over it. You're, you know, torturing yourself. You're making yourself sick because you have this knowledge and you don't speak out. So then if you don't want anybody to know who you are, then do so anonymously. There's so many ways you can, you know, give a quick phone call and hang it up and, you know, you can do a fake Facebook profile and say, this is where you can find her, you know. Um, Just something so that you can find her and give her whatever treatment she needs or medical or whatever, or if we have to lay her to rest, that at least she can do so and give her the she deserves. She's a person. No matter how you look at her, no matter what her story is like, she's still my daughter. She's still a mother. And her son one day is going to have questions and we don't have answers, you know? I have a little girl who idolized her sister and who's terrified that she's going to go missing because he looks like her. And she's, I mean, I'm so thankful to God that she nails strong and that she's been able to adapt, you know, remarkably well despite the circumstances. But it doesn't mean she doesn't suffer. Yeah.
0: right. That's right. Totally right. I should have asked you one more question, if I may, uh, about – uh, some one technical detail. This boyfriend that Cassie had at the time has he ever offered up any opinion as to what happened to her? How did he react to all of this?
1: When he found out that she was missing, he contacted me, and I had questions because I knew about the argument they had in the apartment, and I knew that he was obsessed with her. Um. And he himself told me that he could not live without her. Um, he had uh, an, a brace in his arm, his hand. Apparently, he had hurt him or had damaged his knuckles. Now, he told me that that happened because he was upset when he found out that Cassie was missing because he was trying to find a way to reconcile with her and that he had hit the wall and that, you know, he had hurt his hand. But he told my brother-in-law that he actually was wrestling with a cousin of his and that he had injured his hand while wrestling. Um, huh. He would call me. Yeah, he had called me a couple times. Um, and his mom had actually called me, concerned about his mental health, that he was becoming suicidal, withdrawn. Um, at one point, he said, you know, I don't know how you can live knowing your daughter is. And then it sounded like he was going a say dead.
2: Yeah, but then
1: he stopped mid-word, and um, I haven't spoken to him since um, his number changed, and he is completely off of social media. Okay, has not contacted me since. Then.
2: Okay. Do
0: you have a Facebook page or website, anything like that, set up for Cassie? Yes,
1: it is on um, Facebook. And on Instagram, and they're both with the hashtag findCassandraRamirez. And it's all in one word. It's with a capital capital K A S S A N D R A R A M I R E C. Okay. And there's like, we have different hashtags. Um, one is findCassandraRamirez, the mm-hmm. other one is missing Latina in the Bronx. Um and there's another one It's in love. Um, there's a couple, um, but definitely you know, on her Facebook page, you know, you'll be able to see it and you'll be able to see like the different reports that have, you know, gone out. We have we did speak with Dele Mundo and um Minivision. Um Dateline did like a written case on her as well. It's all on there, um, on the efforts that we've made to try and locate her. But okay. so far, no one has offered any information or any leads or any proof of life. Or not.
2: Okay.
0: Any last words before we conclude this interview,
2: Ingrid?
1: Um, I just want Kathy out. I just want her to know that she's loved, that if this is something that she's chosen to do, which I don't believe, because I don't believe she would ever purposely cut herself out of her son's life, and that she knows that we'll accept her no matter what, that if she's okay to just give a phone call, a message, anything that, that, that can let us know that she's a legal. that if there's someone out there that knows something, that they do the right thing, that they, if they don't want to say exactly what, at least lead us in the direction where we can find the answers that we need. And just to remember that Cassandra's a person. She's a human being. She's a person that I rate. She's a person that had a lot of love in her. I believe she still do. I do not believe that she's gone. At least I don't want to believe that she's gone. And
2: that someone have a heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that they let her go. Right.
0: Ingrid, I appreciate being on this episode of Unfound.
1: I thank you for hearing her and for being a voice for her. Because I'm going to be her voice until she's mm. found or I'm no longer breathing. Yeah. But you're allowing my voice to or rather her voice, to be a lot louder and out there. And so I'm very grateful. I'm grateful for the effort and for all the work that you're doing. Um, it also means a great deal to me and my family and for all the listeners and everyone that's out there that cares just to even hear her story. Every one of you matters. And so I'm grateful to each and every one of you.
0: That's very kind, Ingrid. Uh, We're going to continue to uh, work on this. Uh, As I tell all the guests that uh, this is just the beginning of us knowing each other. We're going to uh, know each other whether uh, Cassie is found tomorrow or a month from now or whenever. We're going to continue to know each other for a long time. So this is just the beginning of us knowing each other. And uh, thank you for the, the very nice compliments, and I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Ingrid Ramirez, mother of Cassie Ramirez. I thank her for joining me and all of you on this episode. I also want to thank her for giving me and my team the phone records from the period around Cassie's disappearance. Speaking of which, over the past week, My assistant Cherie did her best to try to reach the two numbers mentioned in the interview. She left messages in their voicemail and texted them. She got no responses. What does it mean? I really don't know. That nobody called Cherie back could mean there is something suspicious. Or it could mean nothing. Yes, of course. I wish she could have talked to somebody at either of those numbers but that didn't happen. But what is most important is Cassie's family has the numbers, and hopefully something can be determined from them. I am certainly under the belief at least one of those numbers was owned by someone who knew Cassie back in September 2018. I will come back to the phone records in a moment, but there was nothing in the interview that changed my mind that John O'Brien should be the focus of the investigation. I am not saying he had anything to do with Cassie's disappearance. Could he have? Of course. But there is nothing factual that says, yep, he's the one who caused it. We have to remember, multiple people talked to or texted with Cassie while she was with John that night. Instead, what I mean by saying he should be the focus is even after a 150-minute interview... I'm not sure I understand the connection between Cassie and John at all. Cassie's out with her boyfriend, but then allegedly drops everything when John shows up. John had gotten another woman pregnant, but he was hanging out with Cassie, and the three were allegedly together that night. And I suppose we could read between the lines to suspect that John could have been introducing Cassie to sexual clients, but we looked him up, and couldn't find a criminal record at all. So somehow, he's managed to stay under law enforcement radar if, once again, if, he is involved in prostitution or sex trafficking. Which isn't totally unusual. Many people are getting caught up in sex things these days who have no felonies. So, I'm not sure what to think. But the perplexing part is the claim John made that he and Cassie got pulled over that night. This is obvious, but... It either happened or it didn't. So if it happened, why did they get pulled over and why is there no record of it? I know what you're thinking. Profiling. And the NYPD has certainly been accused of doing so, especially against blacks. But neither John nor Cassie are African American. And in John's case, Ingrid believes he's Italian. So would an Italian man... Who would be driving get profiled in New York City. Probably not. I mean, they'd be pulling over every other car. Unless John and Cassie, and if John's woman was with them, were doing something in a particular area, cruising around, let's say, and it was their actions and not their skin color that caught police attention. This would lead us back to the prostitution and sex trafficking possibility. Were they riding around in that kind of area? However, there is also the possibility, since there doesn't seem to be any paperwork, that John is making the pullover up. Never happened. And I know what you're thinking. Why would he do that? Whether he harmed Cassie or not, why would he ever lie about getting pulled over? Well, you should know something. In a story Ingrid knew about that has nothing to do with Cassie's disappearance at all, John used an encounter with police as a kind of alibi on another occasion. So it sounds like this is kind of a thing with him. In a tight spot, John uses police as his witnesses. What I'm saying is this definitely raises the possibility that John's encounter with NYPD on September 20th never happened. And if he'll lie about that, he could be lying about other things. Overall, though, I believe the other key to Cassie's disappearance is in the phone records. And even though we were able to put a name to every number on the list, that does not mean those people had those numbers during September 2018. John Smith could have had 555-1212 then, but Jane Doe could have it now. I've had the same cell number since 2003, but I think that's rare. And there is some proof out there that John got his number changed after Cassie disappeared. In fact, as you heard Ingrid say, he seemingly went missing himself at the end of September 2018. So it may be we just need to dig deeper and try to find exactly when these people got their numbers. That could be tough. Ingrid, myself, and my assistants will certainly have to rise to overcome that obstacle. I'll leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Densel, and you've been listening to Unfound.